0: Let's pretend that this isn't advice and I'm Erin and I'm not giving you advice it's it's not advice I can't help myself give advice I don't mean to I don't want to I want you to be able to live your life but I know how to do it I am a huge know-it-all and this is where I practice not giving advice to people except I totally give advice to them I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session. So I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. Hi everyone. Welcome to this next episode of This Is Not Advice. It's a full episode. On today's uh, podcast, we have Anna Karolikowska. Anna is the president of the Illinois State Bar Association. She is also a practicing family law attorney, collaborative divorce attorney, and mediator. We talk a lot about what collaborative divorce is, how she became a leader within the state bar association, what the point of bar associations is, why they exist, um, or at least why they currently exist. We didn't really talk about how they started in the first place. Um, there's definitely some nerding out about the law. If you're not interested in that, oops, sorry. Part of it's my fault. I just came back from my law school reunion, and I think I cap. I caught a little bit of my uh, law nerds nerding out about law stuff. So. There's some of that, but we actually talk about leadership, about empowering women, about the shift from masculine leadership to feminine leadership and what the difference is between power over and empowering. Um, I really loved this conversation with Anna, and I think that you'll get a lot out of it, if only to hear about the difference in how to approach a divorce. Or why there are different approaches in divorce. I hope you never experience one. But the point in all of this is that sometimes the systems that we live in, we think that they are the way they are and we have to just be in them. And that is not true. There is usually a different way if you're willing to be a little creative. And that's what mediation and collaborative divorce is. It's a way to be in the system without being in the system. Um, I also just really want to say, I went to my law school reunion and I was really, really nervous going into it because it was the first time I'd been around all of these attorneys since I changed my career. And I was like, oh my God, are these people going to think that I'm a big old loser because they don't practice law anymore? And that is not the experience that I had. Instead, I just had a lot of fun with really smart people who I love. So uh, if you have a thing that you are dreading because you are worried about how people will perceive you, I might suggest just dropping some of the worry and remembering that you are an incredible human being who has a lot to bring to the table. And with that, I hope you have a great day. I still have one opening in my practice because one of my clients got her dream job and is moving on, which is so amazing. I'm so happy for her, uh, but that's more free time for me. So are you? It's time for you. Um, I hope you're having a great day, a great week, and I will talk or you'll hear from me soon. Enjoy the show. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Anna, (laughs) well, first of all, please tell my audience who you are.
1: Sure. I'm Anna Karolikaska. I'm a family law attorney, mediator, and a collaborative divorce attorney based in suburbs of Chicago. And I also have the pleasure of serving as the 145th president of the Illinois State Bar Association.
0: I... Love that you did that. <laughs> Why did you sign up to be the president of the Illinois State Bar Association? Like, what, how did you get there? Well, not from the get go, right? So, I moved to
1: the United States as a teenager, and there was no one in my family who was an attorney. My parents didn't know any lawyers. And in law school, I applied for a scholarship. And through that scholarship, I met attorneys. And one of those attorneys, when I graduated from law school, suggested that I become involved with the Illinois State Bar Association. And I did. And through that, I met amazing friends and mentors who took an interest in me, who guided me. And eventually, I started running for our assembly, for our board of governors. And then in 2017, there was a significant impetus and push for women to run for offices. And I started noticing that people were talking to me about this and encouraging me to run. And I decided to do it. And it was a big endeavor. The way the ISV elections work, um, you run for third vice president, and it's a statewide campaign. So 102 circuits in Illinois, and it's a lengthy process. You can announce your candidacy in October, and the elections wrap up at the end of
0: um, April the following year. But how, how many? Wait, ahead. hold on. How many people were running <laughs> against you? How does like? This sounds intense for. Uh, is this a volunteer position. <laughs> it's a
1: volunteer position. It's very intense. I had two um, male older opponents running against me. Uh, We campaigned throughout the state. I was one of the first um, candidates who really started using social media effectively Mm -hmm. in my um, campaign. And ultimately, when the votes were tallied, not only did I win and I won every single circuit in the state, but I was then elected as only the fifth female president since the association was created in 1877. That's
0: amazing. Thank you.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm definitely proud of not only having been elected, but of the work we have done over the last year.
0: Well, first of all, I just am really present to how much of a trailblazer you are. Um, Are you present to how much of a trailblazer you are? You know what? Some days more than others,
1: but it's amazing to hear that, and especially now, I'm a a mom of a little girl. Right. And so some of the things I do now or reflect on some of the things I've done, it's more with the lens of, wow, she has someone to look up to and how can I help to make the world a better place for her and her peers?
0: Yeah. Well, I know because I was a lawyer for a very long time and I had a few clients who did this that the world of collaborative divorce is actually pretty cutting edge.
1: It is. It was only really created about 20 or 30 years ago or so. And and the whole mindset and focus is so very different from the traditional litigated approach. You look at it from the perspective of what does this couple really want to do? What sort of a divorce do they want to have rather than this is how the court system works and this is the divorce you're going to have?
0: Right. So it's outside of the rules and it's more inside of the what's valuable for the situation, what's needed for the situation. It's definitely
1: focused on what is valuable for the couple, what is needed and what they want to do. Yes, there are certain rules that we follow, but it's more so to the extent of at the end of the process, we want certain written agreements. Mm-hmm. We do present them to a judge at our one and only court appearance. And yes, there are divorce decrees that are entered. So we, some rules are followed, but we don't go through the pr- protracted um, discovery
0: process. We don't litigate. Yeah. Well, let's slow down because I feel sure. like there's a lot of ground to cover. And I would just want to know, you know, I you got to be the president of the Illinois State Bar Association. Are you a first-generation immigrant? Yes. Okay. So, wow. (laughs) How does your family feel about you being a lawyer? They're very proud of me. Uh They
1: are happy that their sacrifices made a difference for myself and my brothers. Okay. And they're also, as as any parent, they're very happy that I'm happy. And they see that the work I'm doing with the collaborative divorce and mediation and with the couples I'm working with – as well as the work within the Bar Association, makes me happy.
0: So they're happy. And then you're married and you have a baby. Yes, to both. How long have you been married? It will be five years in August. Congratulations. Thank you. And your baby,
1: how old is your baby? She's one. She just turned one. So another trailblazing moment. I had my baby two months, our baby, two months prior to being sworn in as president. That's another first.
0: Wow. So you're like (laughs) leading (laughs) a state bar association, running your own private practice, nursing a baby or keeping a baby alive via food somehow. Yes, correct. How do you feel day to day? Are you tired? Yes, tired.
1: Some days stressed, some days really overwhelmed, especially doing all of this during COVID pandemic. But there are certain things that this entire experience has taught me. So for example, being very intentional about the work I do, being Mm -hmm. specific in terms of scheduling. So when I have a block of time where I'm supposed to be working on something, Mm -hmm. I'm working on that assignment, whatever it is, because I know that my time is pulled in so many different directions. And that has been a really important lesson.
0: Yeah. Are you uh, by nature a pretty focused person? Yes. Yes. Um, What made you want to be a lawyer? Eighth
1: grade constitution test. Seriously? Seriously. Seriously. Yes. I remember that look with the blue cover and studying about the constitution. And it really resonated with me. And that interest stayed throughout uh, my college and law school experience. Um, I have a poli sci and international relations double major. um, Mm -hmm. And again, that interest continued with me throughout undergrad, wanting to go into law, viewing it as a way to help people and appreciating the fact that our legal system is set up so differently from many other countries in the world and appreciating that.
0: What makes it different? And like, if you had to, if you're the one that gets to say what makes it different, what do you say makes it different?
1: Well, it's first of all, at its core, it's set up very differently from the continental legal system, right? European legal system. Um, also coming here as an immigrant um, from Poland, which at the time was just moving away from being a communist country, just the whole idea of freedom of speech um, and the rights contained in the Bill of Rights and the way our legal system is structured was so mind boggling that it really, really resonated with me. This is where I wanted to be and I wanted to be a part of it if I could help people Participate in this system, knowing that not everyone has easy access to it, of course, but being present and hopefully being able to bridge that gap was really important to me.
0: Well, there's something very ideal about it, right? Like even in the First Amendment, there's five rights in the First Amendment, five enumerated rights, specifically listed rights in the First Amendment, and. In the Ninth Amendment, it's it says, even if the rights here aren't listed, that doesn't stop you from having rights. I can't remember exactly how the Ninth Amendment is written. Right. But the idea of our constitution is one that is supposed to protect individuals. Yes. While also protecting the whole. You're absolutely right. And when it was
1: written, the idea of it was so different, again, from anything else that was in the world. And Poland actually um, modeled its constitution, which was created in the 1800s, 1793, I think. Hopefully I'm correct in that. It was modeled on the U.S. Constitution. It was the second constitution in the world and the first in Europe.
0: It's wild though. Now when, so I went to Michigan for law school and we used to have this transnational class. And I remember them saying that there was a, a constitutional, a constitutional like program where they would put second year law students in developing countries and help them go write their Founding their country charter. Oh my basically. goodness. And they were like, don't ever write a, constitution like the united states cuz it doesn't work.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I would th- agree with that. I mean it has been around for quite some time and and yes, we might all have a conversation as far as what we like about it, what we don't like about it, but at the time when it was written, it was
0: groundbreaking. Well, there's a certain value in a parliamentary system as compared to the bicameral legislature that we have that um is a little gridlocky, at least in our information society. Um, I agree. There are, and, yeah. you know, positives and negatives. And I just think it's kind of funny that, like, I just remember this being a piece of information in two thousand and uh, something <laughs> when I was in law school a while. ago. That was a while ago. Two thousand something. A- we'll go with that. As well, I mean, it, this is public knowledge. It was like two thousand and five, probably. But <laughs> like it, it's an interesting idea, right? That there's this document we all, more or less, agree to the principles, or agree to live under the principles. We may not agree with them, but we agree to live under them, right? And. And then from there, a lot of this structures how we live our lives. Absolutely. Um, Including how we have our families and how we have our children. Indeed. And isn't that a very timely conversation nowadays? Yeah. You have any thoughts? feelings, body sensations?
1: (laughs) Not that I will make public. As a president of a bar association, I I do recognize that things that I say might be perceived as being opinions of the bar association. So I've become a little bit more
0: careful in terms of what I talk about publicly. Really? Do you feel like... You don't have to give your opinion, but can we talk about how the feeling of you representing yourself and representing the Bar Association, how do you differentiate that? It has been a
1: really interesting process. So because as an ISBA officer, you run for third vice president and you move up through the ranks and there are different assignments that you get. So for example, as third vice president, I chaired our scope committee, which kind of pre-screens things that come before our board of governors. As Mm -hmm. our second vice president, I was in a position where I created our leadership Institute, which was an amazing experience. And the idea was to bring in young attorneys, um, underrepresented attorneys, and get them to become more involved with the ISBA. Mm -hmm. And then as president-elect, I get to set my agenda for the following year. I'm chair of budget. So a lot of things that you learn as you go and you slowly start learning that you do speak um, from a different place, when you're an officer, especially when you're a president, because it's not uncommon for me to be asked for an official opinion on the legal matter or something that's developing um, in our society, and so it has been an interesting and a learning experience. But I do view that through the lens of what is our precedent as a bar association, what have our members said on this particular issue in the past? Mm -hmm. And what can I as a spokesperson, as a very public spokesperson, say on their behalf, that is truthful and genuine. And so that has been um, the approach in terms of any public expressions of my opinions. Privately, different conversation, right? If I'm with friends and I can speak freely, I certainly do. But I respect and value the opinion in which our members placed me. And I want to uphold that
0: trust. That's fair. Um, well, I think one thing we're kind of skipping over and this is not by any fault of yours. It's just my, I forget sometimes that not everybody that listens to this show is a lawyer. So because I actually work with people that are (laughs) not all attorneys, um, what is the point of a bar association? Why do we have them? So there are multiple aspects of why we exist. But for
1: the most part, it's an association of attorneys who are licensed in Illinois. Majority of them live and practice in Illinois. Some do not. Mm-hmm. And we work with the public to promote the legal profession and our um, the work that we do we also work on legislation so for example within ISBA we have numerous section councils and committees so for example we might have a family law section council we have a criminal law section council and these section councils are made up of attorneys who practice in a given area so for example with family law let's say that council members recognize that there is an issue with how a certain statute is written or how a certain portion of the statute is being interpreted. And they might propose actually rewriting the statute or writing a new statute. And so they do. They prepare the document. It goes through the internal channels within the ISB where all the other section councils and committees can comment on it. Ultimately, it gets to our assembly. Assembly would debate it. And let's say they approve it. That means that new revised statute becomes then part of our legislative package, which means that our lobbyists and our officers then work with legislators, primarily in Springfield. But sometimes there have been lobbying efforts um, with the United States legislators. Mm -hmm. But we work with legislators to find sponsors for this legislation to um, provide attorneys to testify on behalf of this legislation and to basically try to get this legislation to become law. And it is done very frequently by our membership. So that's one do, of our important functions.
0: Do you think, um, like, do other professional associations like the dentists, the ADA or the AMA, do they have similar lobby, lobbying, legal kind of writing do they write their own statutes too?
1: I can't say whether they write their own statutes. I'm fairly certain they do have lobbyists that work with them, but I can't speak as to whether they they propose specific laws. I would assume they would because they would know what impacts their profession, what impacts their clients, hmm. but I'm not as familiar with the internal workings of those others, other
0: groups. Do you... Um Do you write amicus briefs too? Does the Bar Association write amicus? So an amicus brief, for those of you who are listening who are not attorneys, is a brief that you file with either your state Supreme Court or the United States Supreme Court. I I think you can file them with appeals courts too. You can. Where basically there's a case. The case has implications for people other than you. So it's not your case, but it matters and people will file briefs saying, "Here's why we side with this argument, and we think you, judge or justice, might want to adopt this argument." Um, yeah. So you do file those? We do. So amicus means actually friend of
1: court, mm-hmm. and we do have a separate special committee, and attorneys can request assistance from the amicus committee, and and they review a specific case, whether there's any precedent and decide whether we should file an amicus brief or not. But I know for a fact that we have
0: in the past submitted amicus briefs. Do you know, like, is there, uh, are there guidelines for when you will? Yes. But
1: again, that would be something that this amicus, um, committee is more familiar with. My experience with them has been twofold. One, um, Section councils and committees might be looking at a statute or a case and say, you know, we really should submit an amicus brief. They will make a request to the amicus committee to get their help on it. They might be working on the actual brief as well, but it would be in conjunction with the special committee. And then to the extent the amicus committee has a recommendation to either uh, write a brief or not eventually it can come up to the leadership level for either an approval or or disapproval by the governing body of the ISBA.
0: Um, this is a lot of like how sausage gets made, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of cool to be in the room when they're making all of this happen. And like...
1: It has been fascinating to be in the room where it happens and yeah. as part of my my approach to this so when I ran I knew I I was the f- if elected I would be the fifth right and my approach was always how can I make this an easier experience for others to follow hence the creation of the leadership institute hence the many mentors and mentees that I work with so that I can encourage others to follow in my footsteps. And they have. They have. At this point, we have the sixth female president-to-be who was sworn in last year as third vice president. And in our most recent election cycle, we again elected another woman. So there will be a seventh female president.
0: So That's amazing. What I love about that is so I work with a lot of women leaders and um, I think we're kind of in this changing of the tides where there is a um, a lean towards feminine leadership. And I think that you're just kind of embodying that.
1: Thank you. I appreciate
0: that. I think we
1: bring different um traits, different personality aspects, different experiences. To me, diversity, equity, and inclusion means diversity in all aspects, including opinions and experiences and backgrounds, because then we can truly have um, an in-depth conversation about an issue.
0: Well, I also think that leadership is not about power. Leadership and power are not the same thing. And what I love about what you're talking about is actually empowering other peoples as a way of being a leader, not using power as a way to gain more power. Yes. To me, it was never about power. It was about service and about
1: empowering others.
0: Yeah. So... I feel like this is very much tied to probably your private practice as an attorney, isn't it?
1: Yes, because that too is about empowering my clients to pick the process that resonates with them, whether that's collaborative divorce or mediation, or in some instances, litigation, to help them stay true to that process, to help them Focus on their goals, concerns, their fears, and really to craft a divorce agreement that works for them, not just until we get them divorced, but long term. Ironically, many of my clients improve their communication skills as they're going through their divorce process and are better
0: co parents after the divorce than they were while they were married. How ironic. I don't think that's ironic. I think that that is a, I think that's normal if you do divorce right. If you do it right, because
1: it certainly has not been my experience when working with couples in litigation.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Sure. First of all, how did you end up in family law? So
1: in law school, second year of law school, first of all, I was going to be originally an immigration attorney or a real estate attorney and then took an advocacy class and decided that I I did like advocating for my clients. And for the longest time, I was a litigator because I felt that that was a way to help my clients really have their day in court and get through their divorce process. But the more I did that work, I realized that there were better alternatives for some clients as you know mediation or collaborative divorce, but going back to um, how I got into family law. So I took adv- advocacy courses and I took a course in family law, and I really liked it. But right after graduation, this is 2006. The market was not that great for attorneys. Not that is phenomenal now, but but let's stick with my past. Right, so. The job market was not fantastic. I ended up working with an attorney who had a more general practice. A lot of it was actually criminal defense, but the family law cases that he had ended up on my desk. And I think my first year of practice, I must have taken at least 200 hours of CLEs in family law. I found mentors who were practicing in that area of practice. Mm -hmm. I took cases pro bono for CVLS.
0: And I learned. Do you think that he gave you the family law cases because you're a woman? Maybe. I don't know for
1: sure. But you know what? I'll ask him next time I see him because we still keep in touch.
0: Sometimes I think that there's this like, I don't know. It's one of those emotional labor things. Mm, Yeah. And the presumption like, oh, you're a woman. You can handle this. This is emotional, so you can deal with this? And it's just like undercover sexism. I I don't know if that was necessarily it. Just thinking
1: back to uh, to, to this person and our dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. I do know that there were cases that he took that were criminal defense cases. One in particular where the facts of the case were such where I basically – Keep in mind, not many bosses would allow an associate to do this. And not many associates would feel like they have the ability to say this, right? But Mm -hmm. I did. So I very much appreciate everything he did um, as a mentor and a boss to a young attorney. I remember walking into his office and saying, I cannot work with this client. I cannot work on this case. And he basically said, I respect that. We're going to Chinese wall you. And and that's an expression that attorneys used to basically say, there will be no information about this particular case coming to me, and I will not be asked to work on that. And he kept his word. He kept his word.
0: Well, there's a good reason for that, right? One, maybe it was an ethical reason. Two, maybe it was a mental health reason, whatever. But good for you for knowing your boundary there or... Whatever it was that caused you to Thank you. say those things, and Thank good for you. him for listening to you. Absolutely, I I give him a lot of credit for
1: for helping me get started in the profession and and really for handling that particular situation in this way.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's just one of those spidey senses that I had. Like maybe it wasn't intentional it's not intentional it never is i don't think that men are like let's go have the women deal with the family law issues but i was scrolling through instagram yesterday and uh one of the things was like why are if mental health is health why do we not pay therapists the way that we pay doctors And this one was like sexism. And I was like, oh, probably, right? Because it's emotional labor, not Mm -hmm. traditional whatever, scientific labor, if that's how people would – it's like how it's framed Mm -hmm. or what the perceived value of things is. And there's all of these things in the world where intentional or not – there is a perception it's women's work. Yeah. And unfortunately, over the last
1: three years, there has been such a tremendous need for mental health help because mm-hmm. so many of us, all of us to some yeah. extent, are still dealing with and reeling from the experience.
0: Well, I have to imagine that your divorce and family law practice has taken some pretty interesting turns because of COVID.
1: It has. It has. Absolutely. Go ahead. Is it busier? Yes. So for the most part, divorce attorneys are busier across board, and that's for two reasons. Um, We are seeing more new cases being filed, and that's not unusual. Um, Times of financial difficulty are uncertainty often create more divorce cases. And we've seen this before, um, most recently in 2008. Also, because COVID-19 was so unique, it caused a lot of co-parenting issues, both in terms of parenting time, as well as vaccinations, especially in in relation to children. Yeah. And those cases had had to have been then absorbed by the legal system as well. And on top of these two reasons, there was also the reality of legal system functioning during COVID. So I'll speak to Cook County and color counties here in the area. Initially, we were shut down for two or three months where everything was continued because We kept hoping that the next month the world would return to normal and it didn't. And so eventually, um, chief judges made the decisions of transitioning to Zoom. And so, at least with the domestic um, divorce family law divisions, we started operating via Zoom. And Mm -hmm. that's very fortunate that those decisions were made because. I think people desperately needed certain matters to be addressed. I can tell you that from my personal experience, I am seeing more and more collaborative divorce and mediation cases because the clients really want to have greater control over the process, over the outcome. They want the focus to be on what they want to accomplish rather than what the judge might be restricted or limited to do under the statute. And there was also the appeal of being able to work on your case at a speed that you preferred and only needing one court appearance and being able to finalize your case rather than unfortunately have to deal with the delays of the court system that is overburdened by a greater number of cases and still dealing with um, processing the delays that took place initially during COVID shutdowns.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna try and summarize collaborative divorce and mediation sure. and traditional litigative, litigation divorce and tell me where I'm wrong. Okay. Or like clarify for the people who are listening where I'm wrong. So traditional divorce, two people are like we can, th- no thanks. No thanks bro, I'm out. <laughs> That would require one person to file. The other person needs to get an attorney. And then they go through and they do an investigation of all of their assets. Sometimes that requires actual official discovery where the court sends notices to each other and you're like, here's all my bank accounts, here's all the whatever. It can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to be in that discovery process before you come to a settlement. And sometimes, that litigative disco- or that litigation process can go to a trial where the judge has to decide who gets how many hours with the kids, who gets how many hours with, or who gets what financial assets and how it's going to be distributed. You got it. Accurate? Yes. Okay. Mediation is, sometimes it's binding, sometimes it's not. Correct. But the idea is... Each party goes to one, like there's one mediator. They come in and yes. they sit down and they're like, here's what we have. Here's what our, here's what I think. Here, here's what Joe, the dad thinks. Here's what Erica, the, the mom thinks. The mediator listens to them and makes a recommendation. The recommendation then goes to the court and that's what they agree on.
1: Not quite. So, yes, they work with one mediator and the mediator's Mm -hmm. role is to be a neutral and to help them have the conversation. But in family law, the mediator does not make a recommendation. He or she works with the couple so that the couple hopefully arrives at an agreement. And that's what is then put in the divorce documents. Also, no, go ahead. Ask your question.
0: So in mediation, each party still has an attorney.
1: That would be the recommendation. There are some instances where they choose not to have an attorney. But if Mm -hmm. they do, they need to keep in mind that they will need to prepare their legal documents because their mediator cannot prepare the legal documents because that would then remove them from that neutral place where their job is to help both mom and dad or, or both spouses have this conversation, and if they don't hire an attorney or attorneys, they themselves then have to figure out what the legal documents need
0: to look like. Right. And if there's something missing or somebody puts a little sneaky-sneaky in there, then they will suffer the consequences of the sneaky-sneaky. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then collaborative divorce is... Both parties come in and they agree. Maybe they each have an attorney, but the attorneys practice together to collaborate in how do we want to do this divorce as efficiently as uh, with as little conflict as possible and in the best interest of everybody. So clarification.
1: Yes, we want to remain efficient amicable, collaborative, and in everyone's best interest. Mm -hmm. Yes, each of the spouses hires an attorney. And those attorneys previously would have had mediation training and additional training and collaborative process. So it's as if you're hiring a team of mediators, but the attorneys are committed to you. So if you're my client in the collaborative process, there is still attorney-client privilege. There is still confidentiality And my job is to advise you about all of the aspects of the divorce so that you're making informed choices. So if you tell me, Anna, I'm thinking about making this offer, help me think through it. We will talk about the positive aspects, the negative aspects, how a statute might apply to it so that the client then, when he or she in that meeting makes that offer, has already thought through the various aspects of what could happen.
0: Gotcha. So there's still that advice and Mm -hmm. there's still that um, advocacy. Yes. It's just not fighting. Correct. Correct. And, And so
1: the mind shift is tremendous. And it occurs when the attorney t- or any professional, because there can be other professionals involved in collaborative process.
0: Right. Take accountants or correct. Like maybe a psychologist for the kids. Yes. You need a psychologist for the kids or even each other. Absolutely. It is not unusual to
1: have coaches to help the couple get through the process. It's not unusual to have a financial neutral, but you, This sort of mind shift for me started with my mediation training, which I took in a class with other attorneys, but also mental health professionals and financials. And it was fascinating to see how we all approached um, even asking a question to get at certain information very differently. And that Mm -hmm. started the learning process for me. And then, of course, the collaborative process training and and subsequent training since then. I I tend to gravitate now and, and I still take trainings that are legal focused, but I also tend to take a lot of mental health courses because I feel that I'm interacting with people and it helps me in this space in which I work to be a better advocate, but also to work with my clients better.
0: Well, You know, there's one trick that I learned as a coach is never – is to try and avoid why questions because why questions will have people defend their position rather than discover. Right. Right. And when you're in a place that is kind of a pressure cooker place like a divorce or any adversarial situation – And you need to break down the defenses in order to come to a a place of agreement. (laughs) Asking people to defend themselves even more is not usually very helpful.
1: No, not at all. And and you want to diffuse the the situation. It's not uncommon for me to ask a question and, and sort of introduce it by saying, you know, this might be a dumb question, but I'm really wondering about that. And ask a question that I know the answer to already. But the question is intended to start the conversation or to get the information for my client, who I know wants the information, but they're worried about asking the question. So I'll I'll ask the question.
0: What what do you love most about all of the jobs that you have? (laughs) (laughs) That my life is
1: interesting, that I can help people both in terms of the divorce work is intended to help them get through that process and then move on and have a better life. And it's not uncommon for me to hear from my former clients and to you know, hear about how the kids are doing or how they themselves are doing. So I love that. From the bar association perspective, it really has been about making it a better place, making it more inclusive, and then helping people Um, to figure out whether they want to become more involved, and if so, how to pursue those aspirations.
0: What have you found really challenging? Oh, quite a few things. So initially
1: it was um, scheduling, trying to figure out how to make it all work, right? Right. Mm -hmm. especially with so many things calling for my attention. And I don't have the perfect answer. I haven't figured it out completely. I can tell you that I'm doing better with that than I was a year ago or even a few years ago. Um, But it's still something that I struggle with. Um, The other piece has been figuring out, um, and this was very early on, figuring out how to handle, um, asks. And by that, I mean, as a very young officer elect, you start realizing that people come to you asking for different questions. And it was figuring out how to say, thank you for bringing that to me. I will take it under advisement, I will look into it further rather than committing on the spot. And that is definitely something that has changed. When I was, again, just starting out as president elect, my inclination would be more to commit early on. Now I'm looking for all of the information so that I can make the right decision.
0: Yeah. Well, I imagine that for the having people request things of you, part of the desire to, that you had to get over was that people pleasing thing. I'm going to make you happy by saying yes, or like you already know you want to say no, but you are trying to figure out how to say no or whatever it is. Um, So I imagine that's part of it too, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. For all of us, I think.
0: Well, and it seems like you're a pretty willing person, like a person who's willing to go to bat for things and willing to fight and try and make shit happen. Yes, yes, very much so. Yeah. So it's got to be really hard to say yes to something and then have it not happen too. Yes. Yes. And there have been a few
1: experiences where I've worked really hard to accomplish something and it just did not turn out that way. But here's the thing. Sometimes we don't realize that getting that no or having that door closed leads to different things that often turn out
0: as well, if not better. I would posit that like, Every single time (laughs) it's better. Yeah. We don't we don't like the interim space. That interim space sucks. It's uncomfortable and it's awful. And you're like, why? Why did I fail? It sucks. Yes. Um but almost every single time it's better. Yeah. Um, how did you and well, tell me about the scheduling. How did you get your scheduling to be any better?
1: So, it was realizing that I function better if I can have things happen in chunks of time. Here's what I mean by that. Rather than having a meeting scheduled at nine, at 11, at one, and at three, and then trying to work in between those windows, I'm now more protective of my time. And by that, I mean, I'll say I'm available Monday from like nine to 11. And that means that, you know, from noon till three, I can have a block of time where I can work on something else, but Mm -hmm. then offer the following day um, an afternoon alternative. So they're getting a morning or an afternoon. It's just in a way that allows me to still have time so that I can be focused on work on something rather than being pulled in two different directions.
0: How did you come to that realization? Like what, how did you get there?
1: (laughs) Trial and error. (laughs) No, really, truly overscheduling myself, being um, stressed and overextended and realizing this is not working. So what else am I going to try? And this was the thing that I tried and it works for me better.
0: Yeah, I'm actually very, very similar. It doesn't work for me to uh, do lots of things in one day. I am a block. I'm, I work better in blocks. So if I can do 10 things in one day, great. If I can do um yeah, it's just is more effective for me to work that way. It sounds Absolutely. like you're similar.
1: I am, yeah.
0: What else? Um what else has been, you know, a challenge that you've overcome?
1: I'm trying to think about it. And you know what? It's it's difficult to think of it when you ask that question and kind of Rushing back through my memories, trying to figure out what what else has been a big challenge. I mean, they as they come and as they develop, you sort of deal mm-hmm. with them. But I'm the type of personality that I'm usually very positive and upbeat and looking forward. So I tend not to think about the challenges too much. Um, yeah. I mean, when I was a young attorney starting out the, in the profession, one of the challenges was I was a young female um very young appearing looking attorney i mean that's just how i presented and so it took a while to establish working relationships with counterpart or, or opposing attorneys that did not feel like i be- like i was being dismissed because i was younger or female
0: yeah i imagine I imagine that would be difficult. What I am I'm guessing, this is just a total assumption, but because you've done the mediation training, because you've been so active in the Bar Association, because you've really taken on so many different roles, I would imagine one of the things that has been difficult for you is just serving so many bodies, just saying yes to so many things.
1: So yes, that, that's that's a, maybe not a problem, but I did have a tendency to say yes a lot more. I have learned to be more protective of my energy and how I spent my time. And I think part of that was learning because of overcommitting at certain points in time.
0: Yeah. Um, what is some terrible advice you've gotten
1: <laughs> Again, trying to think about it because if it was terrible, I probably didn't retain it, didn't pay attention to it.
0: Uh, that's like is that the kind of person you are that when yes. somebody tells you something stupid, you're like, Goodbye. Yes,
1: that, that's exactly <laughs> it. I I retain the good advice. The yeah. advice that will help me to have a better life or help others or or just sounds more like something that will work for me because of my personality and how I am.
0: Mm. What um how can we support you or like what kind of help do you need? What how do we be in your corner?
1: That's a great question. Um let's see. Definitely if there's anyone who needs to talk to me or would benefit from my help professionally, please reach out. I'm also always happy to um, speak about divorce and collaborative process or bar association or women in leadership. So if you know anyone would like to interview me or would like to talk to me further, I'm happy to do that. Um, I think that's it for the most part.
0: The last question that I ask everybody is, what does success mean for you?
1: Wow, that's a great question. Success means being in a place where I can help others in a way that feels genuine, that makes me happy. It means being able to take care of my family. It means being able to spend time with my daughter and my husband. It means being a role model, not only for my daughter, but for other women and um, underrepresented individuals, but also being able to help them in their next steps, because I did not get to where I am by myself. I had a lot of help, and I so appreciate each and every one of my friends and colleagues and mentors.
0: I love that. That's beautiful. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much for being on the the show with me today. I can't wait for this episode to come out. And um, man, thanks for being such an impactful trailblazer.
1: My pleasure, truly.
0: It has been my pleasure. Awesome. All right, take care. You too. This Is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlon. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio.